four. As you're doing that, I also just want to acknowledge Tim and Christy and thankful that they've joined us. They're, they're from Terre Haute, Indiana, so uh, they've uh, come all the way from there this morning to join us, and we appreciate their leadership. I invite you to stand with me as we receive this word together. Would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. I want to begin here with verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. Well, by the time we get to this part of the uh, fourth chapter of Mark, we realize that Jesus has been uh, in for a long day. He's been teaching. He's been pressed in by the crowds. And Jesus is exhausted. I think it's fair to say he's probably very tired at the end of the day, he comes to his disciples and says, come, let's go over to the other side. Now you have to ask yourself, well, what is the other side? Well, the other side is the, the Sea of Galilee. Let's get into a boat and let us go over to the other side. Now there are a lot of angles I could take in this passage, but I, I want to look at something specific this morning. Now, the, the Sea of Galilee really is what we would call a lake. Uh, in, in, our, uh, in our neck of the woods, we have Lake Erie, which is huge as compared to the Sea of Galilee. I had a, a privilege, uh, an immense privilege, a few years back when our church took a trip to Israel and we took a group, we had the privilege of actually going across the Sea of Galilee. I took a picture of that. Uh, you remember some of that. And, and uh, of course, this is at dusk and just a, a beautiful, calm evening. It was probably very similar to an evening that, that Jesus was ready to say, come, let's, let's move over to the other side. Uh, I'm not a great photographer, but, but I was struck by the beauty of this and just the wonder of being able to smell the sea air and just experience the, the environment that Jesus must have experienced when he was there and said these very words. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles north to south, about 8 miles east to west. But what makes it unique is the fact that, that it's in this kind of bowl uh, with all the mountains surrounding the sea, and it's 700 feet below sea level. As a result, it, it, it comes like this, this tunnel effect. 
And so when the winds begin to blow and, and, and uh, wind is, is happening, suddenly it hits the sea, and very often these storms can just erupt out of nowhere at just in a few moments. And that's what appears to happen this night. Fine when they launched, smooth sailing to begin, but then before they know it, this furious squall comes up. In fact, that's how it's described here in verse 7, 37. A furious squall. Matthew, when he tells this story, he uses the word seismos, which is the word from which we get our, our word uh, seismic. That's what we talk about when we reference earthquakes. So this is a big deal. The, the waves could have been eight feet, ten feet high perhaps. And of course this boat is not large, it's small. And what's so telling is, is that these disciples are afraid. Now, I think it's rather significant that the disciples are afraid, if you think about it, because what? Many of them are fishermen. They grew up on the sea. Their fathers taught them how to fish. They taught them how to deal with storms and waves. They've gone through this many times. They've been through their share of storms, and yet they are scared that they're not going to survive this one. That, that seems to me to tell me something about the significance, the seismos of this storm. For, for those of you, and, and I don't know if any of you are afraid to fly, my son uh, Mike is going to be flying uh, this, this week, and I know he's not afraid, but his mom is, you know, for him, that kind of a thing. But I heard some advice given by a pastor recently. He said that occasionally when he flies, he comes across people who are rather nervous. You can just tell that they're afraid. He, he describes one time when he was sitting on a flight by a woman he did not know, and suddenly at takeoff, she grabs his forearm, almost digging her fingernails into his skin. He says, I didn't know this lady. I didn't know her name. We had never talked. But suddenly she is holding on to me during takeoff. He looks over at her and he says, listen, I want to give you some advice. And he says, this is what I tell people who are afraid to fly. He says, all you need to do is watch the flight attendant. He says, if the flight attendant is chill, then everything's fine. If the flight attendant isn't panicking, isn't screaming, you're okay. Now, when you see them get nervous, when you see them running up and down the aisle where they're barking orders, then, then it might be time to panic a little too, but otherwise you're fine. And, and why is that? Because flight attendants do this all day, every day. So whatever they feel, you can feel that too. Well, I want to use that as an analogy for what we can expect with these disciples. They know storms and seas, they're comfortable on a boat, and yet this is seismic. This is different. The, the darkness is darker. The wind is stronger. The waves are taller. The water is wetter. Now, I realize it doesn't really make any sense, but, but you kind of get a sense of what I'm trying to say here. They're in danger. The boat is going to, to be engulfed by these waves. You know, I, I've been a pastor now for a long time. can't believe how long I've been a pastor now when I think about it. And I've been in this church for quite a while. And I've seen some stuff over the years. We've, of course, experienced, and many of us together have experienced some good days and some not-so-good days. Times of growth, times of setback. 
But I don't think I've ever experienced anything like we're experiencing right now with Corona. First, it was just figuring out, did we shut down the services? I'd never done that before. We'd never even considered that as a possibility. Then figuring out how to make the adjustment to go online and how that would work. Deciding on how and then when to go back to in-person services. And of course, the big question of the day, mask or no mask. Children's ministry, youth ministry, all the questions surrounding that. And yet, many of them still to be answered. And of course, never mind the, the practical questions of running a ministry. Uh, especially in regards to financial concerns and, and the issues of keeping people and giving them jobs and making sure they're still having jobs. And oh, by the way, we just finished a brand new building with all the, the newness of it and the hope that came with that to, to grow and, 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 and fill that building. And then Corona comes along. And oh, by the way, we had just, we're still in this midst of a worship director search and lost our our worship director of nine years and I know that you feel the tension as we just kind of limp along and try to figure out where are we going the truth is for me this has been seismic for our church and I don't mind telling you at times it's been downright difficult uh, I know personally as a pastor in ministry I'm not sure how do I connect with people do I visit do I hug? Do I come up to you and talk or not? Should we sing or not? I, I kind of find it funny as we sang that first song, sing a little louder. I'm thinking maybe we shouldn't do that right now. Sing a little softer. I don't know. I don't know. Are we ever going to get our technology to work like it's supposed to? Will our people ever return or not? Will they really get so used to just sitting there on the couch or maybe they'll tune into a better pastor? You know there are probably better ones out there. Or will, will we ever get back to what is normal? It, it just often feels like I've been drowning in uncertainty. Maybe you've, maybe you've sensed that these few weeks for me or maybe just for yourself. Verse 38 tells us that when uh, this was all going on, what was Jesus doing? Well, he was in the back, sleeping on a cushion. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, notice it's not Lord here, but teacher, rabbi, do you not care if we drown? So, so you get a picture there, don't you? Uh, they are trying to survive this seismic storm while Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. Incredible picture here. Now, some of you are heavy sleepers. I know this because I've seen you take long naps while I'm preaching, and I've, <laughs> you do fine. But, but, but this seems like another level of sleeping, if you, if you really imagine it. Jesus must be really, really tired. As I've thought about this story, there's a part of me that wonders if he's really asleep at all. Like, that's what they noticed he was doing. That's what it appeared to them. That's why they record him as sleeping. But could it be that Jesus was faking it? Do you think that's, that's possible? Do you ever faked sleeping? 
Remember when, when, when you were uh, parents of young kids and the baby would start to cry? And I remember a few times I'm sleeping, or at least I'm going to try to get to sleep faster than Mary because she'll be the one who takes care of that. Or, or, or at times when, when the kids are, you know, maybe a little bit older, or, or even, even my kids come into our bedroom all the time, and there are just times when I'm exhausted and I'm not interested, and I just, I'm sleeping. Or, or sometimes I'm sleeping just to understand what they're doing when they think I'm sleeping. So I'm aware just to see what's really going on with my eyes closed. So, so there are different occasions when maybe I just fake it. And maybe Jesus is doing something along that here. His eyes are closed, but he's aware. He's paying attention. Part of me wonders if that's not what's happening. That he's not asleep, he's just listening, wondering and watching, in a sense, why the disciples are freaking out, wondering why they haven't gone and remembered the guy who spoke the wind and the waves into existence is is there that he's asleep in their boat because of course the way they're going to handle this storm and the way they're going to face it in this boat is going to be a lot different if they remember that jesus is on board i want to just i want to focus on that this morning The way we handle the storm, the the way we're going to act in the boat is going to be a whole lot different when we remember that Jesus is on board. You see, one of the things that we have a privilege as Christians to remember is that we are always in the presence of God. That, That he is there and he has never been closer. In fact, the Bible says he is near to the brokenhearted. And so in our desperate moments, we have an opportunity, it seems to me, to profoundly experience his presence. Now, there will come a day when the disciples will no longer be able to see Jesus in their boat. At least it will seem to to them like he's not there, that Jesus is not going to be with them. And they're still going to have troubles. They're still going to face challenges. What are they going to do? Well, remember that Jesus says to them in John 14, 18, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone to fend by yourself. I'm not going to do that. Instead, he promises them in that same passage the person and power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll send you a counselor, a comforter. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How does the world give peace today? Well, the world says peace is all on the outside. If it's sunny and smooth sailing and calm waters, that's Peace, that's how the world gives peace. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't promise any of that. You'll experience storms, but what he promises is his presence and the Holy Spirit will be there. The word translated for Holy Spirit here literally is to come alongside. The one who draws up alongside, that's the word. 
the one who draws up alongside. So when I preached two messages at a funeral this week, and as we go to that graveside cemetery, there is a presence, a comfort there of one who draws up alongside. Or you get that message that somebody you really care about has told you the relationship's over. There is one who draws up alongside. There's one when, when you get that phone call in the middle of the night or you find yourself going out into the parking lot after you've been told your services are no longer needed. There is one who draws up alongside. In, in that moment that you feel alone and the storm feels out of control and you're not sure that you're going to survive this, it is the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, that I give you, that gives you peace. And he'll come up alongside. He's there. He's there with you, but even more so, he is in you. And I, I want us to reflect this morning on that power. If you're a follower of Jesus, that presence should make all the difference in how we handle our storms. The disciples seem to forget for a moment that Jesus is in their boat. But did you notice that when they do remember and they ask for help, their cry for help sounds a little bit more like an accusation. Did you notice how they come to him? Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Meaning you don't care if we drown. You don't care if we die. If you cared, we wouldn't be in this situation. By the way, whose idea was it to come out here in the first place? Remember, that was your idea. I mean, don't you have some kind of advanced radar system and you know what's going to happen? Doesn't that come as part of the package? Lord, don't you care? And there's a part of us that says, this isn't the way it should be, that if I'm following Jesus, then I'm going to avoid the storm. He knows when they're coming. He knows when we should stay on shore. And so when that doesn't happen, what do we find ourselves doing? We get disillusioned, disappointed, frustrated. Partly because some of us have bought into a, a version of Christianity that says if you follow Jesus, it's all going to be smooth sailing. By the way, that's nowhere in the Bible, is it? You can't find that. But when the storms come, we start to feel betrayed. Jesus, you're not holding up your end of the bargain, the end of the deal. And our faith gets shaken. We know that. We've been through that. Despite the fact that Jesus has said multiple times in this world, you will have trouble. Don't be surprised when you face various trials and tribulations. Don't be surprised when you are persecuted. Jesus, who in a moment is going to calm the storm, would turn around and say, I send you out as sheep among wolves. In other words, they're going to tear into you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to carry crosses. And so the point is, just because Jesus is in your boat doesn't mean that you won't experience storms. But it does mean you don't have to go through them alone. I've come to realize that sometimes Jesus chooses to calm the storm. But he always wants to calm me. The presence of Jesus should calm us. 
But again, I, I see the disciples and they face this tension. You've probably been there too. Either God can help us and he doesn't care. And by the way, that's implied here. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Surely you can do something, but because you don't, you don't care about me. Or God does care, but he can't do anything about it. He can't help me. And so we live in this tension. We believe it's one of two things. And here is what we find. The, none of those things, neither of those things are really true. Because the truth is, he does care. And he most certainly can help. But this is a surprise. The storm is part of his plan. Don't be surprised when you find out that the storm is a part of his plan. Think about it. Jesus leads them into this storm. He allows the storm, however you want to frame that up. But here's what happens in the storm. Listen to this. They see Jesus in a way that they've never seen him before. They, they've seen him deal with the demonic. They've seen him heal diseases. They've seen him as a great teacher. They experience, however, in this moment, his presence in a new way. And they get a front row seat to his power. And I want you to notice that it changes the way they look at him from this point forward. It changes the faith that they have. They start off by saying, teacher, don't you care? We are going to drown. They, after this, don't call him teacher anymore. You notice what they call him? Lord. <laughs> it's a radically different understanding. They call him Lord because in the storm, they receive something that they could have never received in the safety of the shore. In the storm, they get a clear picture of who Jesus is. Verse 39 says, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet. And I don't think he was, I, I think he was authoritative there. I don't think this was a little, little meek Jesus. This was, be quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and the waves became perfectly calm. And notice what happens. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Literally, where is your faith? They were terrified and asked each other this question, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, they get to see who Jesus is. For a moment, it's peeled back and they see him in a new way and it changes who they are because suddenly, it's fascinating, they're not afraid of the storm. <laughs> Did you notice? They're afraid of him. See, this is in large part the purpose of miracles in Scripture. They teach us the divinity of Jesus. They ought to elicit in us 
worship, admiration, adoration, that he alone is the Messiah, the promised one. And by the way, this isn't a metaphorical storm. This was a real one, real wind, real water, real thunder, real waves. He really spoke and it really became perfectly calm. This storm is real and it is here because it changes their, their faith. It changes them. And when we face our storms, it gives every possibility that it will change our faith too. But I want you to know that it's even more than that. The point of miracles, one, gives us a, a glimpse of the divinity of Jesus. But secondly, it gives us a sneak preview of what is to come. That there is a day coming when Jesus will calm every storm. It, there, there's a, a glimpse of what is to be that the one who formed the world with a word will end the storms with a word too. Now look, in our lives, this side of heaven, you're going to maybe have moments and maybe it's because Jesus calms the storm in a supernatural sense in your life. But let me tell you, in this life, if you're going to live it, there's another storm coming. You're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or you're headed into one. That's the reality of this life. It's, it's not until this life, until this world comes to an end, that we will experience, we will really experience this kind of deliverance. Philip Yancey talks about this concept, and here's how he puts it. And I, I think this is helpful. He says, to put it mildly, God is no more satisfied with this earth than we are. You don't like the storms of this earth. He doesn't like them either. He's not satisfied with it. It, 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 it isn't what he wants. This wasn't his plan. This is what sin has done to this world. And the day is coming when God will set things right. And so Yancey writes, Jesus' miracles then offer a hint of what God intends to do about it. So here's what you have. You have Jesus who gives us a glimpse of what he's going to do about it. He's going to calm the storms. In fact, this word rebuke, that's an interesting word. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He gives it to them. He lets them have it. They are in trouble. That's what somebody does when they're in authority. It's the same word he used when, when he rebuked the demon, when he, when he uh, got rid of the demon uh, in the demon-possessed man. He rebukes them. I'm in charge around here. I'm the authority. I'm the boss. Don't forget your place. I speak. You listen. That's what he does. He rebukes. You do what I say. And that is a glimpse of what he is going to do one day. John of course, is in this boat. He's one of the disciples with Jesus. And he gives us another picture of this when he writes in Revelation 21. He says, in that moment, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And I heard a loud voice <laughs> from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to know fully who he is. And that loud voice says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be death or mourning or crying or pain. 
for the old order of things have passed away. And he who was on the throne seated said, I am making everything new. Well, I can't wait. Until then, uh, until then, we hold on. So I just want to give you this advice and then, then we'll be done. Just tell you this, one, know this, you're going to face storms. Now look, some, some good things may happen in your life. I hope so. You're going to experience maybe some degree of success and some good things, wonderful things even. But I promise you this, if you're breathing right now, you're going to face your share of storms. It's just the path of life. But second, oh my friend, make sure that Jesus is on board. Make sure that you have decided to follow Jesus and recognize who he is. Because ultimately, think about this, he is the only one who really cares that you are drowning. He cared so much that he came to this earth to die on the cross. When sin was going to overtake you, Jesus steps up and he rebukes hell and death and cried out on the cross. It is finished. Make sure that Jesus is on board. Do you know him? Third, your storm will come to an end. Storms come, they just do, they will come, but this, this COVID thing, it's going to end. And then it will be something else. But there is a day when he will come. And he will rebuke sickness and cancer and persecution. He's going to rebuke loneliness and pain and dysfunction and sorrow and death. That's our hope. That's our faith. Ephesians 2.14 simply says this. He himself is our peace. See, if you don't have him, you don't have peace. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, The protector of Israel, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's watching you. He cares. The cross proved that. Some of you are going through a storm today, and it's tough, and I don't want to in any way minimize that. But trust this, that God is there too, and he wants you to know him better. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this simple story that teaches us so much about who you are. And that, Lord, you control all of nature with a word that your name is above every name, that you are the author and finisher of our faith, that, Lord, you are exalted. And one day you're going to declare time is over, storms are over, and you will rebuke all these, all these diseases, all this uh, turmoil, all this division, and it will only be you. 
May our eyes be equipped to see you clearly even now. I pray this in your holy and precious name. If someone today, Lord, doesn't know you, may they, Lord, invite you into their lives, into their hearts, and may they in faith say, Lord, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Lord, I discovered that you do care about me and I, I, I trust you and I put my life into your hands. And so no matter the storm, know this, that he is with you forever. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.